Welcome to the What in the Shiba podcast with Sujia and Ed. We're just two Asian Americans talking shit about shit. <laughs> Hi, Ed. Hi, how's it going? It's good. How was your week? It was quick. Yeah, I feel like in between these is like lightning speed. Any, anything fun? Not too much. Just trying to figure out life. <laughs> you haven't done that in the last week? What are you doing? What are you doing with yourself? At your age? You're still figuring out? Yes. Yes, mom, I am. <laughs> I have um, my in-laws in town this week, which is nice. And I love them. Don't get me wrong. They are wonderful, lovely, lovely people. But like any disruption to the the schedule just feels so like, like I'm just so out of sorts right now. Like I don't know. I, like I woke up this morning. I was like, what day is it? Do I have to make school? Do I have to make lunch for my kids? Are my, what are my in-laws? Are my in-laws here? And then, so I'm just trying to get through this week. Yeah, that going I on. hear you. I have none of that going on and I still <laughs> feel that way. <laughs> Hashtag ADHD. Right. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, that's fun. Anything, did you guys do anything fun? No, I think they're just here to just hang out and visit. So we went to my kids' basketball game and they're, I don't know, driving up the coast today. They're old. <laughs> <laughs> my okay. father-in-law is like 87 and my mother-in-law is like, I think 78 or 79. But so, you know, we're just, we just slow things down a little bit and you know, they just want to see the kids. They have no interest in seeing me or even my husband, I think to a lesser extent. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, anyway, where are the kids? I'm like, oh, just take them. <laughs> they're, they're right there. So. Yeah. I, I never know what to do with elderly people. <laughs> With, I don't know. I think, I think they don't want you to do anything with it. They're like, leave me the fuck alone. Well, because for instance, like a week ago, right after we recorded the last time, my mom's best friend is in town mm -hmm. visiting her son, which, you know, I just call them my cousin just because, yeah. you know, basically. But uh, yeah, like I went over to visit them and I didn't really know what to say or have a conversation with. Cause like at that point you're like, you know, you're like 50 years, my right, senior. Right. So I just kind of also did the same thing. I just like focused on my cousin's kids. Right. And then after I went home, I was like, Oh, Oh crap. I was supposed to be <laughs> visiting them. I was like, Oh God, she's probably going to say something to my mom. But it's, it's like the same thing as like when you go to a party and you just like hang out with the dog. Like I do that a lot. Like I'm like, Oh, Okay, fun party. Don't really make small talk. I'll just go hang out in the kitchen with the dog. That's really all I do. It's a preference. But, you know, it's been nice. They're, um, my in-laws both happen to be therapists, though. So oh, I don't really have to worry about navigating a conversation. They just have ways of extracting all of this from me. Like, I could just sit down, look into my mother-in-law's eyes, and I'm like, so let me tell you something. About <laughs> <laughs> I just go in deep. And she's like, okay. They're so lovely. They're really wonderful people. Like, my father-in-law used to be a priest. My mother-in-law was like entering like the nun school. I don't know what you call it, like nun the nunnery. Um, and then they met and fell in love and decided to leave the church and start a family. So it's, I mean, I could do like a whole podcast about that. It's, but they're very, um, they're really interesting, wonderful people. But Wow, if, but, but they don't, they're not one of those types of therapists. Cause you know, like the whole concept of your parents or someone being a therapist is that they're just constantly trying to therapy you? I don't know, um, maybe, but- It's just working so well, well. Right, I'm like, but I feel so cleansed afterwards. I'm just gonna fucking write it out. I'm not gonna fight it and it's free. You know, It's not 200 bucks an hour, it's free. It's free wonderful. Free is for me. But then of course there is that whole layer of like, but they are the parents of my husband, which a lot of the conversation is geared towards and around. So I'm like, I have to be very careful with how I say things. Cause yeah. if I were in a regular therapy session, I'd be like, my 
fucking husband? Who the fuck raised him? I'm like, oh shit, it's you. <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, but really, why can't he just put the sponge away? Like, like, can you, is this like oh, a video? You know that's I mean? a big point of contention. <laughs> right? You made a video about um, it. You don't, it, I couldn't make it any simpler. The fucking sponge holder is right there in the sink. Just squeeze it, drop it in. That's no, all I need. I get it. That's also, it. Taking a quick second to say hi to Rory and Rory's Hi, parents. honey. I love you. Hi. You're the best. Hi, Hallie. Hi, Ray. Um, if you're listening, everything is great. I love your, your son very much. He's the best. But, you know, we all have our, our gripes in our relationships. And yeah. there are those things. And, and I don't think that my husband is one of those, like, um, what's it called? Weaponized incompetence things. Mm, I don't think yeah, that's yeah. what's happening. Um, there are just things that I like done the way that I like. He's so great. I, I actually really lucked out. He doesn't love doing laundry, but he's good at it. So I'm like, you do the laundry, I'll do some other shit, like, you know, whatever. You know, but there are definitely things that I'm particular about, but I don't think the sponge should be one of them. This is a universal thing. Nobody likes a stinky sponge. It was not even just a stinky sponge. You're literally shortening the lifespan of the sponge because it's gonna be gross and you're gonna have to throw it out exactly. earlier. But we use the scrub daddy. I don't know if you're familiar, scrub no, daddy. They're the, expensive. They're expensive. Yeah. And, Okay, and one other thing, I'll just get it off my chest now since we're talking about it. When he washes the dishes and he washes the knives, he washes the knife blade side in and then he cuts the fucking sponge. And I'm like, Yama, what the fuck? It's not that, turn the knife so then you don't. He's like, but the, the, I'm like, but the dirty side is, I'm like, I, you can figure it out. You can clean you it without cutting the sponge. You are a college graduate. <laughs> I know you can do it. I know you can, like, please. But you know, if my if my biggest complaints about my husband are dishwashing related, we're gonna be okay. Yeah, but I think that might even be like some people just don't care about that stuff. But I wonder if some of us as Asians oh, we yeah. care about it because our parents conditioned right. us to be so neurotic with cleaning. Cleaning conserving, saving money, you know, catch up to the last drop shampoo, you gotta put the water in and shake it and get every last drop of it. But you know, that comes from a place of, you know, not having it, yeah. so I get it. But I can't, it's hard to convey that to my husband. No. Who didn't grow up like well, that. Well, it's because our parents instilled those anxieties onto us. In fact, as you listed every single one of those, I was like, are these things that I complain to my roommate about? Check, <laughs> check, 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 and check. Right. Yes. Right, and then I realized too is like, I have the I have like money anxiety because my parents have always had money anxiety. Yeah. Obviously, grew up during the war and like we're so fucking poor. And my husband, he didn't come from rich parents, but they didn't have that money anxiety or they didn't impose that anxiety onto him. So I'm constantly like, we don't have any money. We're you know everything is terrible. Everything is bad. And he's like, we're okay. Like relax. Like we'll figure it out. I'm like, no. And I I know it comes directly from watching my parents fight about money and worry about money constantly. So I'm I'm working on it. Yeah, and, and I think I think that also might be a cultural thing. Absolutely too. it is. Maybe not necessarily being Asian, but at the very least being children of immigrants. Right. Because when you want to focus so hard on giving your children this better life, it's almost always centers around financials. Right. Right. So then that's what you is discussed. That's the focus, that right. was the priority. Well, and that goes into like this is why we study so hard. This is why right. education is so important right. because this yeah. is the pathway to getting financial stability, which is one of my you know biggest concerns. Right. It's all it's all which always equates to the better life for you. Right. Exactly. Right. But it's like, but you coming down on me so hard about studying twelve hours a day is not making my life better. It actually is really fucking horrible. I Sometimes hate it. debilitating. Dude, my dad would lock me in my a room 
with just a desk and like just like white walls and put the books in front of me like i'll see you in four hours like <laughs> <laughs> and me being me i'm like i can't do this i was like scratch scratching at the walls like this is i can't i don't learn this way no but he didn't know another way no. to like help me through that plus they were like too busy working trying yeah, to get that you know better life for us which kind of like segues into what we wanted to talk about for sure was you know the lack of representation and right. i feel like the fact that our parents were working all the time is a huge factor into this trying to figure out our identity mm -hmm. especially as in children of immigrants and maybe specifically even for the asian community mm -hmm. because of that lack of representation right i agree it was we didn't know or how to model ourselves or who to model ourselves after right because our parents were working constantly i didn't see my parents like hardly at all growing up because they were always at work and what I did see of them was just, you know, hardworking, do the dishes, doing all this. And you know, they're wonderful people and wonderful role models, but they weren't American role models. Right. So I didn't know where to look. So right. then, you know, we, we turned to TV, we turned to films, we turned to music channels or whatever. And then to not see yourself there at all is like, what am, who am it's I? confusing. Of course it is. Yeah, because uh, not only are you there to try to figure out what it means to be American, but you're also trying to figure out what it what that means looking not white or looking right. like we do or looking different. So you're trying to navigate these two things. And I feel like one of those is hard to do. Right. Let alone trying to juggle both as right. like a eight to 14, 15 year old child. Like, I mean, even now, sometimes yeah. I feel that way, you know, and, and that's the thing, too, is like and what representation we did have was so negative and, you know, informed us of all the negative things that people can, you know, saw us as or you know construed us as or whatever however you want to phrase that you know these negative stereotypes of who we are it's like well, so this is what the world thinks i am am i that and i don't i don't think i'm that but that's how the world sees me and so then like how does that kind of play into who you are you know or how you want to to be i don't know it was so complicated it's so complicated yeah it was just it's really complicated because your parents aren't there right you know what i mean and and because maybe the outside world didn't view them as Americans, you don't look at them as like an American model figure, right. you know, going after this American dream. You just look at it, the fact that like, one of us is not like the other. Right, well, and uh, frankly, even if my parents were there, they'd be like, well, I don't fucking know. I, I don't know, right. I don't know what you are here, you know, cause I know what I am, but I brought what I am from there here. But who you are here, I don't, I don't know. And, and I think that was really hard for my parents too, is they really tried. They really tried to help my sisters and I like assimilate. But at the same time, they're like, we don't really know what that means. And so to them, like doing things like going to sleepovers or, you know, having birthday parties, like my friends were having, like all these things, they're like, we don't, they didn't know what to cook for Thanksgiving. Like they're like, um, chapcha and chickens. Like right. it's close enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get where you're going with that, you know? And so that like, even if they wanted to help me cultivate who I am and become the person that I want to be, they're like, we don't know what that looks like. Cause we're so head down working all the time, popping our heads up. Okay, well let's watch TV. What does that look? And then they would watch TV and be like, this is, not what we want you to be either, right. you know? And I think they got so hyper fixated on providing that life that I don't think they even knew who they were. Like right. they didn't even have time or the know-how to even think of their identity. Right, or I feel like for my parents, I mean, I can only speak, you know, to my experience. I think my parents 
their identity was providing, their identity was being hard workers. That was, or if it wasn't, you know, my mom was really good about making sure that she did the things that she liked, her hobbies and, you know, but I'm sure given more latitude, she would have done more with what she, you know, wanted to right. do. But they, they, you know, the Korean parents, they golf, they watch, they karaoke at home. Like, you know, they, they yeah. still maintained that. But I think had they been given a little bit more freedom to be who they wanted to be, you know, that would have then helped them help us. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm even starting to realize now from this conversation that I don't think my mom had any hobbies, which made it even more confusing for me because I was looking to this one adult who didn't have any hobbies. Her sole identity was being Ed's mom. Right. You know what I mean? Like everyone just called her Ed's mom yeah. or my Korean name, Chioma, Chioma. Yeah, you know what I mean? So for me, it was even more confusing trying to figure out who I am, where I come from, because the only thing I know about my mom who didn't share anything with me was just that. All you need to know is that I'm your mom. That's right, it. Right, right. That's my identity. Right. Right. Which means that, like, who am I then? Right. right. Just your son? Right. Right. Like, I get that. And the, totally get the that. fact that people could be multifaceted or have different interests or different mm -hmm. parts of themselves, like, was totally well, alien And to this me. goes back to the representation issue, right? Like, for me as a kid, my parents were like, you study. You study, you get into a good college, you get a good job, that's it. I was like, okay, but I like sports and I like like acting and I like singing and doing like, so they would let me play sports because they knew that was good for me. But I'd be like, but I want to be in the musical. They're like, you don't have time to be in the musical. You have to work, you have to study and you have to, I'm like, but that's what I want to do. They're like, fine, you can do this, but you have to do X, Y, and Z first. And I think for them, I was like, I like performing. I like being in, clearly, I like being in front of people and <laughs> yeah. talking in front of people. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. There's nowhere for you in that world because right. there was so little representation for Asian people. They're like, there's no Asian people on TV. There are no Asian people in musicals on Broadway or like what, not like I would ever have made it. I don't know, maybe I could have, who knows. But there wasn't, it didn't exist to them. Right. So it couldn't exist for me. Right. And like that plays into like this whole idea that representation really does matter, not just for the people watching it, but for people who might want to, you know, pursue it. Yeah. Our parents basically had this idea of like fit in where you can fit in. Right. You know what I mean? Instead of being like, hey, carve out a space for yourselves. Right. And I think that was a detriment to a lot of us because a lot of us grew up in this country not necessarily fitting into that one box. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We live in this country where everyone else is doing all these crazy things or getting to explore themselves mm -hmm. and do all of this stuff. And we're just told to be this, this, or this, that's it. Just stay in right. your lane. Don't make any, you know, any waves. Right. And I think when, like looking back on it now, and I, I like imagine myself just like sitting in front of a television, watching TV, like with my sister, eating Domino's pizza, praying for, or, to, or getting so fired up when I saw like an Asian face, like in the background of something, or if I saw, you know, like I, I use this reference all the time. Like I would watch these TV shows my, with my grandmother and she didn't speak a word of English, but she would watch MASH. And I feel like she would watch MASH because she'd be like, ah, there's some Asian faces. Yeah. I see Asian faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, imagine like to go from somewhere like so homogenous, like Korea, and then coming here and be like, I don't see any Asian people anywhere. Like that's gotta be a real fucking trip. It would be for me, Yeah, you know? And so, you know, when we see things like, especially now watching, you know, all these award ceremonies and these award shows and watching everything everywhere all at once. And if you haven't seen it, 
do yourself a favor, go see it. You've seen it. Yeah. I mean, and then watch it again. And maybe even a third time. At least. Yeah. You need to, I think, at least watch it at least twice. At least. The third time, I think you catch a lot of things that you didn't catch. Yes. I think it's, to me, it covered so many bases for things that I like. It was a trippy ass movie, but it really, the message, I could just relate, obviously relate to so well, yeah. so beautifully. Like, what were your favorite things about that movie? Honestly, it was the reconciliation between the mother and daughter. Ugh. I think because I'm trying to navigate that now even, but I had already started that journey. So mm -hmm. it was just very hopeful. Also, it also helped me realize that maybe like I was putting my mom in a box or having yeah. certain expectations of her, which, you know, on to credit myself, you know, my mom did do some stuff that, you know, made me question it, you know, she, little narcissism here and there. Sure. I hope she's not watching. <laughs> but um, well, maybe she is. And maybe this would be a good thing for her. Maybe here we could hope. But uh, yeah, it, it was very hopeful. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Knowing that someone like Evelyn could be, you know, and, and as I'm even saying this, you start to realize that like they're just literally products of their own environment. Right. right. Our parents. It was mm -hmm. because of how they were raised. And that's not like a complete excuse all for everything they've done or continue to do. But we have to remember, like we said last time, to give them grace mm -hmm. and to tell ourselves, to remind ourselves that they're human. Right. And I think that's something a lot of children or, you know, even adult children forget. And I make this such a point to my kids. I'm like, I need you to understand I am also a human being because this this is something that never occurred to me as a kid. No. That my parents are people. Right. They're just like, you know, like you're saying, like, it's oh, Sujiyama. Like, that's it. I was like, but my mom had a whole life before she had me. My mom had interests, she had dreams. And I never think about that. I never thought like, what are my mom's dreams? What are my dad's dreams? What did he dream of? What, you know, I can't talk about, I can't talk about my parents. Always makes me cry. But like, what what did he want for himself when he, when he was a boy? Did he think about what his future was gonna look like? And I never thought about that until I was well into my adulthood. And I, res, re, I regret that so much because I feel like it would have given me so much more of an ability to like forgive them for the things that they didn't do or say or whatever, because I would have understood it better. And I never took the time to do that. And I regret that. And so I make it even to my girls now, I'm like, daddy is a human being. Daddy has feelings. Daddy is going through something right now. He needs you to support him just like you, you know, he supports you. And I think humanizing, and I think humanizing people in general is something that people don't do enough. No. And I think that's why we have experienced so many of the things that we have. I think it's society as a whole has a problem with putting people into boxes. Mm -hmm. And when you put someone in a box, you keep seeing them from that lens only, right. forgetting that like all people were multidimensional. Yeah. And I think that's why I think maybe why everything everywhere all at once has affected me so as deeply as it does, because the relationship between the mom and daughter was so real, you know, and I feel like it really tapped into like, like not so stereotypical ideals of what, you know, the Asian diaspora and family dynamic is and to have, you know, the, the daughter, you know, be Asian American, but also, you know, LGBTQ. And like, you know, I think that was such a like impactful and important like message to like make people feel more whole and human. It's like people have a lot of different facets to their humanity. And I think, you know, a lot of people that's, that's how they 
can be, I don't know, racists or bigots or whatever is to not see something, see right. someone as a human being. And getting stuck looking at through that one lens is I guess how stereotypes oftentimes happen. Of course. But specifically with everything everywhere all at once, I think it also was a big point that they didn't make the Asian diaspora part, the difference between the mom and the daughter and their experiences being in America, like it wasn't a joke. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. the, the accents weren't a joke. Their right. experiences, their point of views weren't a joke. Mm -hmm. It was very carefully and realistically portrayed right. from our point of view where it's just these two people who came from completely different lives because they grew up in completely different cultures trying to figure out on their own assimilating into this Western country while then realizing that somewhere along the line that they've disconnected. Right. And I think that's like such a honest and true story for many of us whose parents immigrated here. Mm -hmm. This idea that like because, and I keep referencing it, but because our parents get so hyper-focused on giving us this better life, that they get hyper-focused on that while we're trying to figure out the privileges that we have growing up here. Who are we? What do I get to be? Who am I gonna grow up to be? What are my interests? Right. And all of these things that our parents did not have the privilege of Right. Haven't even thinking right. of. Right. The luxury to even consider right. that their life could take a different path. So, or so for them to even try to figure out how to manage that for us wasn't even a thought right. because it, they're like, what is this? I, what do you mean identity? You just, you survive. That's life. <laughs> right. You know, right. but growing, I think growing up in America without those representations, like, you know, we discussed on the first episode for us, like, some of the representations that we have were nowhere near positive. In fact, one of the only, of and as much as I love Kiwi Kwan, his representations in Indiana Jones Goonies. and even in Goonies mm -hmm. was stereotypical. Were right, they, of course. Were, was he putting on an accident, accent? No, that right. was true to what he was as an immigrant himself. But the way that those characters were portrayed were very one dimensional. Of course, right. And outside of that, the only thing I can think of was Margaret Cho and All American Girl, which was like the first time it was normalized. Right. But it was in the context of comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's still kind of messed up. And even still, that show was riddled with Asian stereotypes yes. and bad accents and yes. the, the accent being the That's joke. That's what I mean. You know when, what I mean? When it yeah. wasn't that comedic thing, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm represented. A family is finally there, but. Oh, I'm a joke. Yeah. I'm a fucking joke. You know, and I love Margaret Cho. I love her. I adore her. I think she is a fucking pioneer. I really do. And I think she got trapped in just like the machine, you know, the no, television yeah, she machine. She did what she could with what she was offered. Right, exactly. And it was like, I either take this chance or I, you know, and I, I respect her tremendously. But she she was thrown into this thing where it was like, okay, well, I yeah. get it. And you want to be represented, but this is how we want to represent yeah. you. And, you know, she didn't really get any, you know, you to say about it. But, like, she you didn't know, have any power. when we were young, we got what? We got Data. We got Long Duck Dong. And we got, who else? I I, I can't even think of, like, you know, a, a handful. Yeah. You know, and, and that even is lucky. Because at least those people were played by actual Asian people. Unlike, you know, when, when James Hong was coming up and Asian people were played by white people who had their fucking eyes taped back. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> How is this a go? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, which is like weird to hear that like Asian is in box office, yet you were making a movie centered around Asian stories. Right. 
Like, so that doesn't make Genghis sense. Khan is like not box office. Then why right. are you making the movie at all? Right. Right. Like so that it makes no fucking sense. And so I don't know when I see somebody like James Hong receive an award, like you know, at at SAG to be rep, to to be honored by his peers and you know acknowledged by his peers who took seventy fucking years to come around to doing it, is a really poignant and important moment for for him, but for all of us, yeah. for all of us. And for Michelle to say, this isn't just for me, this is for every little girl that looks like me. I mean, imagine how hard I was crying when I heard her say that. Yeah, I mean, and think about how Hollywood just like glorifies so many of that era actors, majority because they're just not here anymore. Right. And to, re to realize that James Hong was their colleagues, he's still here, mm -hmm. he gets zero acclaim he gets right. zero recognition just the longevity and his stamina yeah. alone yeah. is worth noting a 70 year career yeah. in film in he, anything his first movie was with clark gable yeah. like that's crazy that's a really long time ago right it's a really long fucking I mean, time who ago who works 70 years in anything, anything. <laughs> right you that's know a very good let point. alone like i mean yes i mean like when you watch the sag awards you could tell that like he needed help just maneuvering right to still have the passion enough. And for, I don't know if you read this, but James Hong said that he didn't really understand the script because it just kind of went above his head a yeah. little bit. You know what I mean? Um, well, to some degree, I think that's kind of the point. That too. was the was point, like, but I, it was also like conceptually, it was just like so out of the box, right. you know? So right. he didn't even understand, but he just knew that with the people that were involved. It's important. It's important. And he just took that leap of faith. Right. There's a there's something poignant about this yes. and I need to be part of it. And so many of all of that should be recognized, let alone none of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really fantastic. And I, I think maybe, I don't know, the cherry on top of it for me was that Mark Wahlberg presented the award to them. Yeah. And I like to, if, if you don't know the story behind Mark Wahlberg, Ed, I think you should field this one. Tell everybody a little bit about what a lot of people are now discovering about Mark Wahlberg. I'll touch on it, you know, really quickly. But back in 1988, when Mark Wahlberg was still, I believe, a teenager, um, or like had just, you know, become 18 or whatever, he essentially assaulted these two Vietnamese men in Dorchester, uh, Massachusetts, which is right outside Boston. And um, I believe the first one was in an attempt to steal the man's beer. Mm -hmm. He was walking, Mark Wahlberg was walking down the street, saw a Vietnamese man get out of his car with two cases of beer. For some reason, Mark Wahlberg, I say some reason, but he clearly he was looking for trouble. He's carrying a five foot long stick down the street. And he, you know, immediately points out the fact that the man is Vietnamese, you know, uses some vulgar words, and then just without any notice, just smacks him as hard as he could on the top of his head because the man passes out. Mark Wahlberg tries to steal his beer, runs away, because I believe the cops started coming pretty much immediately. Um, goes up to, I'm assuming the area must have a Vietnamese community because right. there was another Vietnamese man up, down, up the street and Mark Wahlberg essentially uses this Vietnamese man to hide from the cops. He literally puts his arm around his shoulder, says the cops are coming, hide me. This man has probably no idea what's going on, I, right. let alone the fact that Mark Wahlberg just assaulted a man from his community a block away. And as soon as the cops drive down away from view, Mark Wahlberg decides that he's just gonna punch this man in the face. This like, man what the fuck? that just helped him. What a dick. Right. 
And as soon as the cops arrest him, you know, he starts getting defensive. All of these the slurs, slurs co- start yeah, coming out. They're never you know, far behind, right? All this machoism of like, you don't need to, you know what I mean? It's just a lot of toxicity. And since then, well, actually, first off, Mark Wahlberg only spent 45 days in jail. This was actually two years after he also got a civil rights injunction by the courts for essentially harassing a group of black right. kids. Right, that's right. And I believe that was actually on a school trip. Like they were going to the beach, they saw a group of black kids, him and his white friends decided to start throwing rocks, chase him down the street. The one woman was so traumatized, she still talks about how it affected her. She I still bet. has scars. And so this was a pattern of behavior for right. Mark Wahlberg. Now, the problem here is that since then, Mark Wahlberg has done a lot of behind the scenes work to try to pretty up his image. And that's the thing that a lot of people focus on whenever we have this conversation. Mm -hmm. But the points that usually get left out are for over 20 years, like 26 years, he didn't even try to reach out to either of those victims to make it right Right. with them. Because otherwise, unless you make it right with the victims that you wronged, you're just trying to put makeup on a pig. Right, right, right. That's just PR. Right. It's just PR. You're just literally, literally cleaning up your image. Right, right. Because it affected no one but those two people. So who are you doing it for? Like, I get it. Like, if you want to feel better about yourself, great. But start at the source. Right. Start at the the, the point where all of it happened. That thing that you're trying to cover up is called guilt. Right. And the best way to get rid of your guilt is to write the wrong. Contrition. I right. mean, you might never get rid of that guilt. If you're a good person. Right. That guilt will never go away. I don't know that I could it. get away with that. I, or no. get away from that, that feeling of no. like hurting somebody in that way. And no. and here's the thing. I know that a lot of people want to say, like he was a long time ago. He was a kid. He was in a gang. He did. And, and I, fine. I understand that. And as kids, we do a lot of stupid things. But I don't know. Like I know a lot of people who are kids or have been kids and haven't fucking hate crimed people. And right. I'm sorry. And I know that that's a very like you know, stern label to put on it, but I don't know what else to call it. Because in any other context, when you find two people who are of the same race and assault them and hurl racial slurs at them simultaneously, I don't know, that's 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 how the math works out for me. And I'm not saying that he is still hateful, but I would love to see him, I, I, I why does nobody know about this? You know, for me, if I was Mark Wahlberg and I actually felt guilt, I would have done something at some point, even if it was just in the last three years yeah. when all of this hate crime towards Asian people came about. Now's the time. Who is the best person to speak up against it? Someone who did it right. before to guide people to let them know how and now wrong it is. understands how wrong it is right. and how sorry they are right. and they don't want to see this happen to anyone else. Hey, not to make it about me, but right. hey, I did this before and right. I can tell you that it doesn't have to be this way. It's right. wrong. You're going to real, you know what I mean? Right. Something instead of just keeping quiet. Nothing. And from what I understood the day after the SAG Awards, when people started making an uproar, I heard that conveniently Mark Wahlberg started talking that exact day about how he's Catholic. <laughs> so mean, that's what I mean. Like those little tidbits, <laughs> those little details are what makes me say that, look, I don't want to pass on full judgment. For, okay. But the trails are leading towards right. fake. Right. This is fake. Right. Exactly. This is all PR. This Again. Is performatory. And, yeah. and performative. It, it, I like to think that there's somebody, I, I don't know who 
decides who does the presenting for whatever awards. I know that usually the person who received the award the year before presents to the next person. I don't, I, I don't know. I think all these award shows are different, but I like to believe that somebody behind the scenes at SAG was like, you know what, Mark Wahlberg, you've been real fucking quiet about what's going on in the Asian yeah. community. How about instead of presenting just one Asian person with an award, you present like to a half dozen or yeah. more of them. Let's watch you squirm. Fucking squirm. And you could see it on his face, yeah. how openly uncomfortable he is. This is the part where you in editing put a picture of him. Yeah. <laughs> of I mean, literally right before he announced the award he looks back and almost like wait are we sure that was i supposed to good was I supposed to present this well and then, yeah right exactly and some people are like oh this is this is how he's showing that he's grown and evolved i'm like mm, is it though because growing and evolving from something would require you actually talking about it and pointing it out towards yourself and be like, listen, these are the things that I've done. These are the things that I am sorry for and I want to address them. But I, I've never heard him address it. I've never, I mean, I'm sure like behind the scenes, quote unquote, whatever he's doing, you know, in, in communities, whatever. But this is like a large scale thing that's a really big issue. It should go beyond, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there should be like an actual addressing to those two people. I agree. And I want to see it. I agree, and it wasn't even like, great, so okay, so let's say that Mark Wahlberg hasn't done anything severely problematic in regards to race relations since. Hmm. On the flip side, has he done anything to advance right. the needle for them as well? Right. That's what I mean, not, you know what I mean? So that's, not that I and know. I'm not saying everyone's built the same or everyone hmm. tackles everything the same, but if I was Mark Wahlberg and I tremendously felt this guilt, mm -hmm. I would almost feel like, and. Maybe this is the part where all of, all of my therapists have all told me that I had some sort of hero complex, but <laughs> that would be the part where I would feel like it's partially my duty yes. to somehow rectify the wrong for the whole community. Yeah, and I don't think that that's a hero complex. I think that's just a human being complex. You know what I mean? Like, I think that is a, I think at the very least, is that something that you should do? I mean, as a human being, if what he did was not something small, no. what he did was not just like, saying a word that you're not supposed to say because you didn't know it was something that was offensive. That's not what he did. He committed hateful, hateful crimes against people. Like that's fucked up. And I don't think it's even just that. I don't think it's even just that. People focus on his hate crime. They, fo they don't talk well enough about the part that he only served 45 days. Right. And then afterwards, he catapulted off of his older brother's career to become a millionaire and right. create this empire. That's the part that really rubs me the wrong way is just, he just did everything for himself without even being like, you know what? I had this privilege. And that's what I mean. It's not that it's his responsibility per se, but I feel like he should feel some type of responsibility right. towards it. I mean, the one man, now there was this one rumor where they stated that the second man that he punched in the eye lost his vision in his eye because of that punch. In actuality, the victim himself stated that he lost his sight like in the war? Vietnam War. war yeah, because yeah. he he's one of those he's one of the quote unquote boat people mm. that escaped to Vietnam. You know, <laughs> and uh, which you know think about that. Think about the fact that you just fled <laughs> yeah. your country, and some fucking kid knocks you upside the fucking head with a stick for helping him <laughs> unknowingly. Uh. You know what I mean? But outside of that, I mean that man up until like 2014, 16 was making nine dollars an hour doing screen, screen printing on shirts. Right. And even when Mark Wahlberg was petitioning to get pardoned, 
he was even advocating for it. And that's the thing too, is like you're petitioning to get pardoned. What do you mean? You did it. So what do you what do you mean getting pardoned? Like right. that's not showing contrition. That's not showing like how sorry I am being like Okay, well now can you just erase it? Like I'm really sorry. Can you just take it away? Like yeah. that's not that doesn't show me you're sorry. And he claims it was his team that wanted to do it, but that that's that's what I mean when I say you have to Well, then surround look yourself at, with a better team. You have to look at the whole picture because we're talking about someone who literally by only serving 45 days, there was a statement made that said that Asian people are not worth right. they're, they're not worth it. Right. They're not worth enough for you to ruin your life over. Right. Like they're just these immigrants, you know, this guy came over on a boat. <laughs> yeah, right. You know he already I mean? had one good eye. Right. <laughs> so he's not even acknowledging that fact. Right. You know what I mean? So just even from that perspective, acknowledging his privilege, you would think that there is some sort of making it right. Right. Well, and now, now what, right? Now that we all kind of, the cat's out of the bag and more and more people are understanding like what he actually did. Even now, if he goes back and is like, oh, I'm gonna try to right these wrongs by doing X, Y, and Z, it's like, well, now now it really just looks performative, right. and now I don't buy it for a fucking second. But, but at the same time, <laughs> I would rather that than there, nothing. There is that, and you're gonna get backlash no matter what you do at this right. point, but I feel like that's kind of the the bed you made. It that's is. the bed you made, Marky Mark. Sorry, no, you know, put your Calvin Klein's on and go, go do some fucking work in the community. And that's the thing, you would think that he would show some sort of remorse. Right. You know, and some sort of like, oh man, I have to do something to make this right. Well, that's why I kind of think that maybe somebody did this on purpose so that he would have to face it, you know, so that you'd have to say like, all right, well now, you know, you have to, because everybody knows, you know, shit or get off the pot because now's the time. Because we've been waiting. We've been waiting for you to do something and you haven't. Isn't done anything. I know. Yeah. I mean, has he even been in a movie with an Asian person? That's what I mean. At the very minimum, you could have been like, hey, I'm going to take this one person up with me. Like, or like something. Yeah. Or produce a movie right. that has Asian actors in it who that tell a story of, I don't know, Vietnamese boat people. Let's do a movie. Let's do it. You can do a documentary or you can do a, a, a fictional story about it. But why don't you throw some of your fucking you know, money behind it and, and get a story out. Right. That or this is going to sound a little pompous, but like maybe just make us tell your story. Yeah. Be honest about what you did to those men. Show it on film. Mm -hmm. And and. Oh, well, that would be something. People. I think that would be incredible. That I think would be to me because I always find that if you're going to do something you and you really truly are sorry, looking bad should be the least of your worries. Right. It's because you already look bad. Right. So I think if he did that, that would be one of the only things that I would look at and be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to really consider this. Because let me let me just blow the mind for a second. If you think about it in the terms of a movie, mm -hmm. you know, Mark Wahlberg did this thing and he hit these people. What is the only acceptable ending to that movie? He gets beat with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> I walked myself right into that one. No, but it would be having to come around right you know, it's like that clint eastwood movie with those asian kids at the end of that movie clint eastwood who was somewhat racist in the beginning and right. made all these you know he ended up sticking up for that community right and that's what i mean if you compare movies and i'm not saying life is like movies but if you compare real life to how that movie should end right what has mark Wahlberg done right nothing right nothing mark Wahlberg then and now arguably same person just right. better at hiding right behind closed doors. Interesting. Arguably, right? And so, that's the thing is, is that like, 
people like Mark Wahlberg don't realize the kind of effect it has, not even just on those two people. I mean, the one, the first victim, no one can even find them. So for mm. all we know, that person became a huge recluse because this thing fucked them up. Right. The second person, he struggled to support his whole family this whole time. You know what I mean? So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to see Mark Wahlberg do a story like that and have, you know, and then I think that would also help with the representation aspect is like, don't represent it from just your perspective. Let's hear it from the perspective of the people this happened to or stories like it, because I think there are so few, I haven't seen really any, I haven't seen any stories about Asian people who have been affected in these, these ways, you know, and I think hearing the stories from their own mouths, I think is a really important part of helping others understand their places in the world. Yeah. Right. We're like, maybe tell one of the victim's stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like show what his life was like. I would like after. to know. I, I I don't know which one of the two was the boat person, but the I second, would, yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's start the story there. Let's start the story in I mean, Vietnam in 1972. That man even changed his name to Johnny. We don't even know if that happened because of this incident. Probably. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. I need to I'm assimilate. Other. Right. I need to figure out a way to make myself less me. Right. Right. So yeah. So let's take Johnny's story. 1972 sometime. He's probably a little kid. Let's start there. Let's start there, Marky Mark. Like, I'd love to see the story. Write it. Get somebody to write it. Not you, though. Somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully an Asian person who's actually sitting with Johnny. Oh, let's, yeah. or let's, yeah, let's get Johnny uh, out here in LA. Let's, let's have him do a, a little write up. But it's, it's even more than that. Cause like for those of us that grew up knowing that story, uh, between the lack of representation in media right. and then the fact that the news is basically the news and the justice system is telling us that our lives are worthless are worthless, <laughs> or worth you know, less. Yeah. It's, it really fucks you up from a cellular level mm -hmm. about your whole being. Right. You know? And I think those of us who have the fight in us, we push back, but that also exposes us to an entirely different scenario and group of things that you know are negative and then those of us who don't have the fight in us just sit in the idea that we aren't worth as much and that we don't deserve to be as happy as everybody else so when you watch yourself number one not be represented and the representation that you do get is so negative and then you don't have role models or people advocating for you at the same time it's like well what the, what the fuck are we supposed to think how are we supposed to feel yeah yeah and, and i know as as a little kid mm. between don't all, make me think about little ed thinking about baby ed makes me cry already yeah well <laughs> <laughs> little baby ed as a, <laughs> As a little kid, between the lack of representation and the fact that, you know, as a single, growing up with a single mother um, and an only child, I didn't know what to think. Okay. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what it was like to be able to defend yourself. And without going into the specifics, you know, probably on another podcast filled with a lot of tears. Uh -oh. The thing with is, is that like, when people say that you're strong, when people look at us and they're like, wow, you're so outspoken. Thank you for standing up for things. It makes me sad because in order to have strength, where do you think it came from? It has to come from somewhere. You have to have gone through thing. And that's the thing is, is that like when you're going through it, you don't think that you're being strong. All you're telling yourself is why is this happening to me? I'm not going to make it. This is so hard. Right. And it's only when you're looking back and you're wishing right. that this never happens to that this Never happens to anyone else again and no one has to ever go through it again. Do you start to realize like I had 
I had to be fucking strong. Right, right. As you're saying this, the image that keeps occurring to me is just like melted metal that has to just get hammered and pounded over and over and over again to become this strong piece of yes. steel, right? Yeah. You have to just continually hammer at it in order for it to you know, yield its strength. And that is something that so many of us have gone through. And I totally relate to what you're saying. People say all the time, oh my God, Susie, I wanna be strong like you. I wanna have a voice like you. I wanna, where do you think it came from? It came from constantly having to fight for it. I constantly have to, I still do. I have to fight people all the time just to be allowed to be who the fuck I am. And this goes far beyond, you know, even just social media in my life. I have to rail against everything because I feel like if I don't, people will see me as weak. And if they see me as weak, they will continue to attack, diminish, minimize, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. And I'm, I'm so fucking sick of it, but I'd love to not have to be strong sometimes. I would love to just be who I am and not feel like I'm constantly at attention. I always feel like I'm at attention. I'm always looking for it. I'm always like, it's, it's here. I, I know it's here. I can sense it. Yeah. You know, but that also, you know, it goes, I have to check myself too. Yeah. Cause I understand that because I'm always so hyper fixated and aware of what's going on that I sometimes see it in things that aren't happening. Right. Right. Like this is very, <laughs> it's going to sound so silly, but I've recently been doing my own fingernails and I think they look really great. Yeah. And I've been doing them at home. And I told my friend at the gym who's like, your nails look really pretty. I was like, thanks. I've been doing them myself. And she goes, well, shit, I'm going to start getting you to do my nails. Instantly, I'm like, oh, because I'm Asian. <laughs> I can do your fucking <laughs> nails, you fucking bitch. And I was like, no, that's not what she meant. Right. Take it back. But it's because I've been conditioned to always be at a 10. Yeah. She didn't mean anything by no. that. She was just trying to give me a compliment. Yeah, she was like, I can't do that. I, right, yeah. and you've done a lovely job. They look very pretty. And I was like, very consciously like, all right, walk it back, Susie. That's not what she meant. And you have to check yourself too, because all this pushing forward, you know, you forget that it's okay to stop yeah. or to pause or to take half a step back. It's okay. because. I, I've never allowed myself to. Yeah, that's why it's like a weird thing to think about. When I think about who I am now, I'm pretty happy with the person that I am. I think you're pretty great. I Thanks, I feel <laughs> like, you know, same. I feel thanks. like I, I'm a decent human being. Mm -hmm. I'm flawed, but yeah. I try my best every day to be better, to own up to my mistakes and everything like that. But even as a kid, I remember thinking, because even when I was like nine, 10 years old, growing up without a father, I used to look to TV and wonder, who am I going to be as a dad one day? You know what I mean? So like I did a lot of that kind of like psychological thinking since I was a kid. And I remember even at that young age thinking to myself, I'm the way that I am. I know things. I can sense things. I have this great intuition because of the things I've been through. How do I instill that into my future kids one day without giving right. them the trauma needed to right. get here? That Yeah, I struggle with that all the time. That's a really great point. Because otherwise, like I grew up in, you know, suburbia before amongst a very populated white area. And a lot of those kids, and I don't mean this offensively, were very sheltered. Mm -hmm. And to me, I don't know if offensive, like that's just not what I want to identify as. I don't know if I want my kids to be sheltered. And I don't know, maybe it's because I don't have kids and I don't know. 
But how do you reconcile giving them a better life without, without, while being able to educate them on how to pick up on the nuances of the bullshit that is known as life? It's almost impossible. I struggle with that all the time. I really, really do. I, I know that when I'm with my kids and we hear something or like I, I can sense it when my daughters are like, was that offensive? Did they mean that offensively? I'm like, no, no, they didn't at all. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Am I doing, I'm doing too, have I done too much? Did I, let the, did I let the pendulum swing too far? And yeah. now they're so aware of it and I hate it because I don't want them to have to feel how I felt because that is where that came from. But to know that it's it's even in their consciousness means that I have deposited some of that trauma to them. And now it like it makes me so upset with myself that I allowed that to happen. But like, how do you? How do you teach them? Because there those things do still exist. And I think that's why the media is so important because I think as having interpersonal relationships with your children, it's hard to show them your strength without some of the trauma that initiated right. coming through. Because like we had to become strong the way we are because of our life experiences. I didn't just grow up one day and I was like, this is how you're strong. <laughs> right, right. I was a sensitive kid that used to get bullied all the time. You know, as I said in the last episode, you know, physically, you know, really badly. And then I had to learn to figure out who, what being strong was. And that came with all of its learning curves. Like first I was a dick mm -hmm. you know and i wasn't it wasn't that great to people and then and then i became closed off and then all of a sudden i was a victim again but just like in a different way and i think that's the reason why representation is so important because if our children if the kids these days can see people that look like them right be strong without mm -hmm. necessarily having to see the trauma that they go through then they can see what strong is but they also see that like Oh, I can be that. Right. That, right. that can be me. And I think too is like not just strong, right? I want my kids to see people who look, look like them that are funny and who are, but not the joke. Yeah. They are making the joke. They are yep. not the joke itself. You know what I mean? And well-rounded and, you know, motivated, but not just about you know, academics and that pursue art and pursue other things. Like they, they have dreams that they're allowed to, to pursue. And mm -hmm. I want them to see like, the entirety of a human being. And I think that was the one thing that we really didn't get because all that I ever saw of people who were my age and Asian, if I saw them at all, were like bookworms. That's it. They were this, this, this. It was through the lens of the white, the yeah. white lens. We are the nerd. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not a fucking nerd. I'm cool as fuck. What are you talking about? I, yeah. I hate math. I really do. And I'm an Asian kid that, and that I think is another thing too is like, so many people are like, well, what's wrong with these stereotypes? It's good to be good at math. It's good to want to study hard. I'm like, not if you're not that. Or from my experience, <laughs> I was that. I was that nerdy kid, you know? Like um, when I was in third grade, I had already learned, started learning calculus. Wow. My mom ran a Kumon. Oh, cool. And <laughs> I think I also just was mathematically inclined. So those two things. Could never be me helped me from an intellectual standpoint, <laughs> right. but from a integrating America standpoint, it was horrible. Mm. So for me- Did you wear glasses? I did. Oh, Ed. So then on top <laughs> of it, I was that stereotype. Mm. It really confused me because when you see that person being on the screen and they were so one-dimensionally that, and they were the butt of the joke, right. they didn't have any arcs, they were portrayed as never the love interest, they're just like this, you know, this 
guy who just has crushes but never right. gets fulfilled, it made me think that that was all I could aspire to right. be. Like I thought that was it. That was mm -hmm. it for me. You know what I mean? And it really for helped. Sure. It really fucked me up, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. It and made me. How could it not? Yeah, I mean, up until even recently, in like the last five, ten years, I still, it, I had to navigate, try to figure out who I was, to try to overcome and have to tell myself that, like, hey, man, you've been conditioned this way. This isn't where your story ends. Like, right. you know what I mean? We can do whatever the fuck we want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and that I think, took a while. I bet. I mean, we're, we're still working. Like, that's why we're here. That's why <laughs> that's we were literally here. why we're here, because we're still experiencing yeah. it. You know, and as a kid, for me, like, I wasn't studious. I really was not. I didn't like math. I, I, I think I. Oh, I, I hated I, it. I think I've diagnosed, like, some learning disabilities, or at the very least, ADHD that's undiagnosed. I'm pretty confident. At the least. Yeah, I sure. think I should really get that checked out but oh, anyway yeah. uh, i digress um but because i never saw especially asian girls who were rebellious or who were athletic or who loved art or was the cheerleader it was just what? piano you only get piano or violin and that's it maybe the flute if you're lucky but that's all you fucking get and i was like i like dancing I like singing. I like doing things. I love fashion. I love art. I love, but it was like, it's either classical in whatever art it is, which I didn't love, obviously. I was a you know kid and I was like, I wanna be like Debbie Gibson or I wanna be on Disney Channel or I wanna, you know, I wanna pursue, was it didn't even register. And I grew up in LA and there were a lot of my friends whose parents were in the industry who were also kids in this in the industry. And they were all doing the things that I was like, that looks really fun. Yeah. That looks like something I would want to do. I want to go on auditions. Not to say that even like now that's what I want, but like it was definitely something that I would have loved to have pursued if I were given the the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think it would have been helpful for our parents as well to have had the representation. And I think that if my parents were able to see just like well-rounded representation of Asian people in film and television, they'd be like, oh, well, maybe that's not such a crazy thing for her to want to do. Because right. to them, this was just this like outlandish idea. Yeah. Asian people aren't on television. No. They don't make it as actors. They're not successful. No. In fact, so, the only Asians that they knew that were successful were in those fields of doctor, lawyer. Right, exactly. So the only path to success for Asian people is in academia and becoming a professional in those you know arenas. But not as an actor. You'll never survive as an actor. And, and obviously, who knows, had I pursued it, any, if anything would have ever, I, I don't know. I don't know that I even would have gone the distance to try to do that. But just the fact that it wasn't even something that was a viable consideration, right. because my parents were like, that's not a thing. No. That's not a thing for you, kid. No, that's like, a hobby. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right, at best. If we even if allow even that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, right, let's see what your SAT scores look like yeah. and we'll see if you let, get to have a hobby. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it was because they weren't exposed to people on television that right. looked like us. And so now, even like watching my parents see something like BTS and Korean dramas and everything everywhere all at once, they, they can see that that's an actual thing. And so now like when my daughters are like, oh, I wanna pursue X, Y, and Z, my parents don't, well, lucky for them, maybe less me, they're like, oh, that is something that you can do. That sounds great. Let's help you get dance lessons. And I'm like, I would have liked that too, but that's okay. At least now, you know, it, my parents can see that I wasn't so crazy. 
I wasn't so crazy to want those things. And I just, I, you know, I think they, they have their own regrets about that too. That's so funny. We share very similar things. When I was younger, I used to have this like before the Home Alone. Remember that little handheld recording thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that came out, I used to have this like really big thing with a microphone, <laughs> and you would record on a tape deck. I used to carry that around, and I literally used to sing, Aww. dance, and then I would go up to like my mom and my grandma and pretend like I was doing interviews. <laughs> so like, I think entertainment is something I always wanted to do too. And in fact, same. I even got a role in my seventh grade Beauty and the Beast play. My mom did not come. Actually, I recently found out that she secretly came to the one night. But imagine doing that in secret and not actively supporting your child. Yeah, like what? As a 12-year-old. Well, because she knew that if she fostered that, then that might be something you would want to continue to do. And that in turn could then affect your ability to be Or even, God forbid, I was good. <laughs> yeah, and right. And she didn't want to admit it. You know right. what I mean? But it was funny because then she told me that I wasn't allowed to anymore. Because it just took up too much time. Mm. But I think in reality, I think she saw how much she I enjoyed it and yeah. was like, ooh, I have to cut this off yeah. now before it goes too far. And then I really have to dash right. your dreams. But if there was maybe some representation at the time, maybe that wouldn't have been such a far off thing where she was right. like, you know what? He could do this. Right. Or, you know, now that you're saying these things, I'm thinking maybe they did see what kind of representation there was for Asian people and they didn't want us to be subjected to that. Possibly. Right. Like, I don't want my daughter to be the female long duck dong. <laughs> like, right. I don't want I don't want that for her. So if she does pursue that, it's just going to open her up to being ridiculed publicly. Right. That's the last thing we want for her. So, you know, to see that, I mean, it's a very slow evolution going back to the James Hong thing, you know, obviously it's decades and decades, almost a century in the making. But to see these small changes and the ability for young Asian actors to be able to pursue their dreams and, you know, singers, dancers, whatever in the arts that isn't just classic piano, you know, it's 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 really nice to see. I mean, I, I do resent that I am not young enough to be part of that in that way. Are, are we? Come, do you want me to sing? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I bet they do. You don't want that. <laughs> Just As she sings it. No. Yeah. No, my God, I'll be so fucking embarrassed. I'd die. I, I'm like cringing out of my skin just thinking about it. Oh, I can't. Trauma. That's just trauma. Uh, maybe. I don't. Oh, I We're going to go to karaoke and then I'm going <laughs> to film it for you guys and you'll no. see. I'm sorry. I have to leave the podcast forever. <laughs> so for, oh my God, go to karaoke. Turning off my TikTok. <laughs> so Asian. Yeah. Doing it. <laughs> Okay, fine. First. We'll go to KBBQ first. We'll get me shit face and then we'll go sing karaoke. I'm not promising anything. But do you know what I think is funny is that um, a lot of Asian parents then push instruments uh, yeah. on their kids. Right. But they don't want us to be artists. Right. It's like, you know, that's what that is. Yeah, right? like that's literally art. And I get that. <laughs> I understand that they wanted to do it for our brain development and all that stuff. Dexterity, whatever the heck it no. is. But it's Art, <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the most oldest forms of art. Yeah, um, which is funny because my mom forced me to learn the piano and the cello, and mm -hmm. then when I wanted to switch away from the cello, because like, what seven-year-old wants to lug around this <laughs> instrument that's long, bigger than them? You know a side I mean? note: all of these little things that you're talking about, like I just picture little and I'm like. Oh, carry your cello for you. Yeah, I'm telling you, my mom did not set me up for success here. The only thing that I do credit for her is when I told her that I did not want to be skipped grades, mm -hmm. she did listen to me. 
Yeah. Because the teachers were like, Oh God, could you imagine? In fifth grade, the teachers were like, he should be in high school. Oh my God. And I was like, no. I was no. like, I don't know if you guys remember this. I was like, last year, I almost became a paraplegic. I was like, the year before, you guys almost had a homicide case in the stairwell after gym class. So I was like, that was with kids my own age. I was like, I'm not. Oh, no. I was like, I'm not going to high school. What? I was like, I'm going to. I was like, I'm going to die. No. You're as a 10 year old, like I was telling harsh, adults. No way. I was literally telling adults as a 10 year old, I was like, if you do this, I'm going to die. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And my mom, literally, as I'm sure, as much as her Asian motherness wanted to be able to be like, my son's it's in a high risk school. You're willing yeah. to take. My son graduated <laughs> high school at the age of 14. As much as she probably wanted to do that, right. she listened Well, to then it. maybe we should be happy that there wasn't an Asian Dookie Hauser because that would have been you. That would have been me. <laughs> Except dead. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially. Daddy <This> Hauser. Is... <laughs> Dookie dead. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, oh. we, I, I wanted to go that route, you know, right. I wanted, I wanted to be creative. Of course. And I, and eventually it took me a long roundabout way to get here. Right. I, I mean, it. I think some of the like memories I have of like my dad, my, my father is, was a trumpet player. My father loved to sing. My father can sing like opera. Like he's a wonderful, amazing singer. And I think part of him also wishes that he was able to pursue, you know, I know. I can't believe he didn't project that onto you when you were like, I want to go to auditions. No. Yes. Because I think he was like, no, these things are things that we can't dream about. These aren't dreams we because can it have. it didn't play out for him. Right. Or that he didn't even get the I, the glimmer of an idea that it was even a potential for him at that time. You know, And, and it wasn't like, a, hey, I didn't do it, so you couldn't do it. It was more, I think, a realistic standpoint. Right. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, my dad moved to the United States as an architect, you know, and that didn't work out because he couldn't get work because racism. There was no way he's like, well, then I guess I'll just pursue singing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I gonna try out for American yeah. Idol. You guys won't let me do this technical job that I'm trained for, right. but I'm gonna start gigging. Yeah. You know? Why don't you guys just all watch me on your TV screen? Right. That's exactly. My dad, as you know, in his 20s, who speaks little English, what playing gigs at smoky nightclubs in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, he's like, it's not gonna happen. Oh, it sounds amazing. I know. I yeah, mean, but like, realistically, like, Marky Mark, write that, yeah. <laughs> write that movie, because that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, but. I think he just was like, this isn't something that, that we can dream. indulge ourselves yeah. in. So it's a pipe dream. Yeah. So let's not. Let's not. Let's do something that we know is the the thing that will help us, help you. As they went home and watched K-dramas on their VHS that they rented from the grocery Which store. Which is so fucking insane to me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, those people that you're artists. watching are artists. artists. That's what they do. Yeah. But, you know, they couldn't connect the dots in time. For, yeah, but I get it. But you know, yeah. but I think now when my mom talks about like my TikTok or she talks about like my podcast or like the potential of me doing X, Y, and Z, she gets really excited and she's like super proud. And I'm like, oh, mom, like, can I compete now with your doctor friends and <laughs> your your parent, your friends, kids who are what lawyers and blah, they're so boring. They're so fucking boring. Do they have 1.7 million followers? Like. I do? No. And my mom thinks it's so fucking cool. And I think that's so cute that they think it's so cool. Because they have no idea. Um, my mom knows about my TikTok, but I don't. I haven't told her about the podcast yet. You I uh, Yeah, I think there's like a couple things. I think I'm partially scared she's going to hear it. 
what that's the I mean I understand that's like that. that's like giving your parents your therapy I know if w such a thing existed which is really funny that you say that because I just told my dad about the podcast and he's like oh I want to listen to it and he was so proud because he found it like you know on a podcast he took a picture of it and he sent me the picture and I realized that that in that episode that he's listening to I talk about <laughs> men having sex with farm animals <laughs> and i'm like oh no oh no he's gonna hear me say the word sex he's gonna hear me say fucking animals and now he's gonna listen to this one and hear me say it again <laughs> but even still i know like i've conditioned my parents enough to know that like they're fine with it because this is just who i am and i think getting to that point with them to, for them to be like okay you are who you are. Pursue what you want. We can't fucking stop you anyway. Yeah. What a relief. Finally. I think the other part of it for me is, is that like I'm waiting for it to be something that she could viably tell her friends about. But even just having it. No, no. I know. I, I know realistically that's how it is. Mm -hmm. But because when I was like... 10 years old and I'd come home with a B like on a test or something. My mom literally at the age of 10 would be like, so-and-so's son just bought him a car. I'd be like, how do I, how do I compete with that? I'm 10 years old. I'm 10 years old. You know what I mean? So it's Wait, like- do people who get Bs not, are they not able yeah. to buy cars? So I think I'm still just conditioned to be like, I can only tell my mom when it's something she can viably brag about. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what your mom's friend circle looks like, but if your mom's friend circle looks anything like my mom's friend circles, all of her friends, I get it. They're all doctors. They're all lawyers. They're all accountants and CPAs. I think one of her friend's kids works at the FBI and that's fucking cool. But they're all just kind of like just doing that. I think because I do something so different from what all of her friend's kids do that my mom is like, oh, now this is something we could talk about. Right, my right. daughter does something that none of your kids could fucking do. You know what I mean? Like if I really wanted to right now, I could go to law school and become a lawyer. I don't want to, yeah, yeah. but I could. But could her kids say that they could start a TikTok and acquire millions of followers and do a podcast that people probably want to listen to? I don't know. Or just have anything interesting to even talk about. Right, exactly. Right. I don't know. I don't know if they can say that. Not that I think we're interesting. Or that lawyers aren't interesting. Yeah, I call my lawyer friend all the time. We chat all the time. My sister's a lawyer. So maybe that's another thing too. Well, that's maybe where that your trauma comes took, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this all makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, fuck lawyers. No, I'm just kidding. It's because my sister's one. No, but I think that, I think maybe that has part of it too, right? Like my sister became like the, she has a PhD. She's a lawyer. She's a professor. She's all those things. So I was like, well, does that mean the pressure's off now? And I can just kind of yeah. do what Talk I want. Talk about really embracing the first child thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. She's such an overachiever. My younger sister is too. So I'm like, so just let me be an artist. What's the problem? Like well, the, how beautifully well-rounded a family. I don't know if you watch those TikToks, but the middle child is always the problem child. Yeah, duh. They're always the indifferent. Yeah, duh. The weird ones. Okay, okay, but this is by not my, oh, this is not my fault. Okay, my older sister is this crazy overachiever. She, you know, went to the most prestigious university. She has a PhD. She's a professor, a lawyer. She works in like pharmaceuticals. Like she does all this crazy shit. My younger sister is this like super motivated type A MBA, like business minded person. And I'm just like, oh, 
like singing and dancing. <laughs> I like painting stuff. I like just hanging out with my friends. <laughs> like my parents are like, oh God. But no wonder I'm the way that I am is because I'm like, pay attention to me. Yeah. Somebody, I'm pretty average at most things, but pay attention to me for something. Oh yeah. Right? Like, I just realized that's the way that I am too. <laughs> Holy shit. I just, just had one of those like, huh? Oh, that's what? called an epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh shit, I am that. I'm I was like, I'm not a middle child. Well, if you count my half siblings that I didn't grow up or know, oh, technically I guess I am. But because my mom, like I used to beg my mom to play games with me. Like, hey mom, play Monopoly with me. And she used to be like, no. I don't. So I, same thing. I was like, somebody pay attention to me, please. Little Ed, everything. I'm like, I'll play Monopoly with you, little yeah. Ed. Next time I'm gonna bring, we're gonna just flash photos of me on this screen and you're all gonna, we're all gonna, gonna cry. cry. Yeah, we're all just gonna cry. Okay, so. It was a good episode. I yeah. feel very. I always, I always know when the episode's winding down because I feel like uh, I feel yeah. so relieved. Like, oh my god, is this Woo. what it feels like to not carry around baggage? I know, right? Yeah. Just drop them. Yeah. Feel great. Moving forward, we want to include everyone in right. this conversation, right? Because it's not just about sharing our experiences and our point of views, right? It's about the collective community, right? So, so something we want to do is include you and have you all do like a write in. And every week we want to give you like a prompt about what we want to talk about, you know, in the you know following episode. And then that way we want to we want to hear your stories, too. You know, Ed and I have only lived one life each. So I think we only have finite number of stories and not all of them are wildly interesting <laughs> so we'd love you guys to help co-host the show because we want to hear your stories the funny ones the sad ones the scary ones the inspiring ones we want to hear all of your stories too so next week we want to focus on food which is something that i talk about quite a bit um i eat a lot of it right <laughs> i eat it like pretty much every day all the time. <laughs> i think about it uh, literally all the time, all the time. <laughs> yeah um, so we want you to write into our email, which Ed has set up, which is- It's gonna it? be prompted right here on the screen. It's whatintheshebot at gmail.com. Perfect. And we wanna talk about maybe your experiences with cultural foods, um, whether it be, you know, lunchroom stories or how you were introduced to certain foods or something like that. Just tell us your funny or interesting food stories. Mail that in and then moving forward, we wanna be able to share those stories with the audience. Right, and make sure too, if you write in, to if you want to be tagged or if you want to remain anonymous great um, but if you want to share your story and you want us to you know talk about it and we do make sure you give us any social media handles that you might want us to 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 mention okay but i think that i think we're good for the week yeah i feel very accomplished today <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. hey marky mark if you want to be on this podcast <laughs> what in the shebot at gmail.com <laughs> hashtag do better <laughs> But thank you guys for tuning in and listening this week. We really appreciate it. We've had such great feedback about the podcast. So, you know, that just motivates us to, to keep going. Yeah. And if you are watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, like the video, follow us on our socials as well. Uh, I'm at Sujia1 uh, on TikTok and on Instagram. And on pretty much all of it, I'm at Etch a Sketch with a J. And they're going to be prompt on the screen this time as well. Ed, you didn't do one button this whole time. One noise button. You didn't even do one. What's it gonna be? We won't know till it airs. <laughs> it's crickets. I know what it oh. is. <laughs> you did the cricket ones on purpose. You sent me. <laughs> Next time, we're gonna we're gonna work harder on like incorporating some sounds. Maybe some like just push one. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's important. What was it? I don't know. I don't if it is, 
This is me just basking in the applause. Amazing. Um, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys next week. Okay. okay bye. bye.